Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. Kate Tucker is a singer-songwriter, producer, and filmmaker living in Nashville, Tennessee. In chatting with Kate, I learned that she's a thoughtful, passionate creative, focused not just on creating art, but also on becoming a better human being. Kate Tucker, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you come uh, highly recommended not just by one guest, but by two guests that have already been on the show in the early days of this podcast, uh, Alyssa Moreno and Elizabeth Elkins. Both think you would be a great person to talk to and have interesting stories to tell. Oh, I love both of those women. Really strong, powerful writers and humans. So that's a compliment. Yeah, and you're, you're actually kind of from or at least you spent a number of years in my backyard. I'm in Bellingham, Washington. Um, and so it sounds like you were in Seattle and Bellingham for a number of years yeah. before you ended up in Nashville. I love Seattle and I love Bellingham. I shot a film in Bellingham um, and I lived in Seattle for eight years. Hmm. So it's kind of where I started my, my real career. It's where I recorded my first albums and built my band. <laughs> So love the Northwest. Yeah. You know, I have this vague memory, like, you know, how you like get this memory sense of artist names and band names you see when you're living somewhere, when, mm-hmm. you're, when you're active and you see the posters and the things. And I have this memory sense of Kate Tucker from that era back when I was, yeah. back when I was down in Seattle doing more music as well. So it's fun to kind of loop back around in 2019 and, and catch up. And so for people who may not be familiar with you, uh, what would you like to let, let listeners know? <laughs> um, that everything's going to be all right. <laughs> so we're all in this together. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an artist and a songwriter and a producer and a filmmaker. And um, I just like to make, make things. So kind of jumped around through different modes and, informed but um i'm just happy to be always creating and collaborating and talking with people like you so yeah i like that that's and i i agree everything is going to be all right at least <laughs> at least until it isn't <laughs> right <laughs> so might as well enjoy it i'd say uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and, and so how did you like how did you get into writing or songwriting this whole creative lifestyle um, when I was very little, my parents gave me a tape recorder and, uh, I would just, I loved singing into it and then hearing my voice back. Mm. So, um, I was like three or four and just making little songs up in the back of the car on the way to church. And then, um, I saw a concert in third grade. I saw an Amy Grant concert at this place called Blossom Music Center in, um, Cleveland, near Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm from. And, um, I just immediately, I was like, I'm going to be a singer. I went home and I 
got the curling iron in the bathroom mirror and practiced. (laughs) And then it occurred to me pretty quickly that like, I wasn't going to be able to perform the way I wanted to, if I didn't know how to play any music. So, um, I decided right then and there, like, even though my favorite singers at the time were like Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson, and I never really saw them playing any instruments that I was going to make sure that if I had to do it all by myself, I'd still be able to have a concert. Um, so I started learning piano and I, I asked my parents to find me a guitar and I, um, miraculously got a guitar. That's a whole different story. And then, um, just started hanging out with this by the time, this time I was in junior high and I just started hanging out with any guy who could play guitar. I didn't (laughs) know any girls who could play guitar. So I just was hanging out like on the back porch, wherever I could find a guy with a guitar and I'd try to learn how to play chords. And so somebody eventually taped my favorite band in junior high was the Cranberries. And, um, I got to go see a concert of theirs and I was like, Oh my God, I'm totally going to be like in a rock band. And so then I, I got someone to tape the Cranberries unplugged on, it was like my boyfriend, he taped this on VHS and gave it to me. And I just rewound it over and over and learned every single Cranberry song. And that's how I learned how to play. How oh, I really learned cool. how to play guitar. That's yeah. Cool. So I still don't really know how to play, but I managed to pull it off. <laughs> that's great. Well, hey, you know, that's there's there's a lot to learning by doing and 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 playing along with people. It's that's I think that's how a lot of us have have done it, even if we've had formal instruction. Because yeah, let's face it, it's a lot more fun to play with somebody along with somebody who's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I quit those piano lessons pretty fast, and I started a choir, and I quit like the next day. I just wasn't responding well to actual music theory <laughs> and in fact mm. it's like the reason that i'm not i wasn't the valedictorian of my high school is because i got a b plus in music theory i'm like seriously oh that's <laughs> really that's the one that got you that's all these the years all me. these years later <laughs> looking back yeah yeah i should have never <laughs> should have never tried for that <laughs> oh that's great yeah that's great and and <laughs> uh, when did you get like into writing lyrics writing your own songs yeah, I, I I guess um great early days with that tape cassette recorder and then later um cuz I actually like my parents saved some of the tapes and I'm like oh those are actually cool. But I um in for real it was more in high school I started a band um called Even Star Alignment and then um you know it was just me and some guys and none of them wanted to write the lyrics and I was really um always really taken with poetry and literature. I read a ton as a child. I was kind of a nerd and Mm. my parents read a lot to me and to my siblings. And so I'm still fascinated by, you know, like short articulate lines of verse and finding ways to pack a lot of emotion into something like really Mm. um, simple. And so songwriting just became this beautiful sort of pursuit and, I, yeah, I, I just, but I really didn't know much about, like I, it was similar to music. I didn't really know much about how to write. Uh, I still have never really read any of those books about it or anything, but I've read a lot of books about, like I was an English major. And so I've read books about like poetry and verse and meter mm-hmm. and rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's the way that I got in and um, 
into that arena. But, and I also like, as a kid, I, I journaled a lot. Someone gave me a diary when I was like in third grade, like, a, like, or maybe even younger, but one with like a lock on it and it was really girly mm. and pretty. Mm-hmm. And I, I was fascinated by it. So I started writing in a journal at a young age and pretty much have always done that. So mm. writing is something that comes naturally. Yeah. When I, when I hear stories from people who, who it seems to have come easily to, uh, there's often this element of journaling involved. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a practice. It's a, it's a practice, you know? Yeah. And what do you think you got out of that practice? Um, well, I mean, I think I've, I think it's like, if I had sat around playing scales instead of journaling, I would be a lot better at playing guitar. You know, (laughs) I think it it really is literally a practice of writing and using language and, um, considering ways to say things and, and Mm -hmm. how to communicate a feeling or, uh, how to explain or describe an experience so that later when you read it, it, you recall not just the facts of it, but how it felt and, what it meant to you. Um, and I think it's also a way it's a cathartic sort of release too. Sometimes you don't really want to go back and read that stuff and it's just a way to get it out or, and especially if it's in the morning, what, when I usually do write, it's like, sometimes I'm like, what am I writing? This is awful. And it's like, it doesn't matter learning to not judge it mm-hmm. and just let it kind of flow and, and kind of recognize that you're not writing for anybody <laughs> and yeah. nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to judge you. Um, and you really have to kind of go into now that I co-write, I've taken that with me into co-writing because you, you have to be pretty fearless in a co-write. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to like hold back and not say something that could be a really cool idea. But if you're like, this might be so dumb and I don't know if I want to say it because people think I'm stupid or whatever, like then you're losing like a lot, you're losing energy and you're losing your focus is in the wrong place. So I think yeah. like practicing writing in a way that's non-judgmental is journaling is a good way to do that. Yeah, that's that's a great practice. And how much of that um, carried over into your into your lyrics? You know, if it's one thing to to write for a journal, it's another to have something that you're saying that you're putting out there for public consumption. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I like. I couldn't say a certain like a number or like, I can't give a specific example of I've definitely had moments where I like write down lines of verse that I'll, that will eventually make it into a song or be a song idea. Um, I think it's probably more of like a, a shining the flashlight on something in my brain or my experience. That's like needs to be explored or expressed. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, if I've gone through the process of like, I'm a verbal processor. So like, I really, it's almost like talking to myself when I'm journaling so I can process whatever is going on in my life. And so I guess like if there's, it's for the songs that are more personal or coming from a personal place, um, the journaling is probably a good way to kind of be like, Oh yeah, that's really important right now to you. And you know, this is how you feel about it. So when I go into a right, or if I'm just by myself, maybe it's more, um, likely to be something that emerges. I don't know. I have also noticed lately I'm like, well, I'm working on a film right now and it's, I'm writing the kind of the script for it, even though it's a documentary, you're still kind of write the, Mm -hmm. you have to have, you're responsible for the story arc and all that. So like, as I do, I'm noticing that like, because I'm so in it, um, kind of similar to like when you make 
back in the day, I don't know that people do it as much as anymore, but when you would go in the studio and make a record and you're like writing in the studio and recording and all you're mm-hmm. doing is being in the studio, like that's how it feels right now in this film. And so I'm seeing, I'm finding myself writing huge, like capital letter heading headlines on my journal. When I think of something thematic that I want to remember for the film. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's interesting to see that. Yeah. And so what is the crossover between songwriting, writing lyrics and writing a script? Well, I'm not really the best person to ask because this is my first time doing this. Yeah, well, um, you, so you're, you're learning as you go. Yeah. I think that it's always how, um, for me, I'm like, always want to say all that is necessary, like no more and no less, mm-hmm. like say, and so, and I want to say it, um, like to make every word kind of hold the meaning it needs to hold. Because I think ultimately when you hear a song or you see a film or whatever, the good, the good films are films that are believable and compelling. And the good songs are the songs that are sung live. If I don't, be- you can tell like you, if you believe it or not. Right. So yeah. like, I think it's just being honest and finding a way to like say something. It's like all a very like platonic and sort of being a service of like truth and beauty, sort of an idealistic approach, but mm-hmm. like, how do I want to, um, how's the best way to communicate this and like make the words give the, give the right words to it. Cause there are, I really do think there are like, right ways to say things and then Mm. there are clunky ways or like inauthentic or dishonest ways or like just like not as um uh like worthy ways or something you know like i think that words are like clothes that we put on and um they never really fully encompass meaning i think like Mm -hmm. and that's the really beautiful sort of challenge that anybody who works with them poets songwriters writers screenwriters whatever right. that's the challenge we have is that they can't really fully uh express always no what's really going on i suppose both with music and with with moving picture um have the advantages of adding context to the words right there's the emotional context of the delivery of the words so i may not know what you mean but i know what you feel and oh yeah yeah like you really want to show not tell like in film it's like show not tell is a big word like the big thing and and in music it's like you want everything to be working together like i happen to be somebody who listens to lyrics i love lyrics i like lyrics will sell me on a song i know plenty of people even songwriters who don't even remember lyrics don't they claim they don't hear the lyrics really and that blows my mind but like i'm like i get it because music's really powerful and it can say something without saying anything you know yeah i do yeah and it's an interesting place for me i come from it was the first thing i hear is that believable voice and then I feel the emotion of it. And then the last thing is like, okay, now I'm curious. What are they saying? And, you know, yeah. then I go look at the lyric sheet or try to find it and, and see what it means. And sometimes it made, made me feel more connected to the songs. And sometimes it 
added a little distance because I didn't relate to the story, maybe. Uh, but, oh, yeah. yeah. That's definitely possible. And it's kind of like why I don't really love when people ask me what that's, you know, what's that song about? I'm like, uh, I can tell you, but like, what, it, it might be better if I don't tell you. Yeah, what's it mean <laughs> to you? You, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's it's one thing, you know, when you're when you're writing as an artist, um, I imagine you're trying to communicate something, even if you want the listener to attach their own meaning to it. So, like, how do you how do you how do you think about storytelling in the context of a lyric and a performance? That's a good question. Um, I don't really too much. I think I write when I'm writing for myself or as from my artist heart, I um, don't think very much. And mm. I might go back and edit and like, see that there's some story that there's this, like sometimes even for story songs um, that I've written as an artist, mm. sometimes they just kind of arrive and I'm like, whose story is this? And like, and it'll be cool because it'll feel like it's, I feel connected to it and I understand the emotion of it, but I might've just written a story <laughs> about that, like has pieces and elements, maybe from stories I've been reading, maybe from mm-hmm. somebody else's life, but um, it doesn't really, I'm, I'm never, I'm hardly ever, I can't really think of a time when I'm like, I want to communicate this specific thing to people um, with a song. I think, the, there's a theme that runs through a lot of my work that I do hope people pick up on, which is like a theme of hope mm. and a theme of like healing. But that has been for a long time closed in a pretty dark sort of a, a, a place or a space. And mm. so I think like for, I, I'm not really thinking too much about, I hope they get this. In fact, sometimes I don't get it. A lot of the times I, I when I'm like writing a song that, like uh, someone was just talking to me about Nick Cave and that document, the second documentary that came out about his, after his son died and how he had written a song that the first song on the album that he'd written before his son died said, you fell from the cliff, whatever cliff it was that his son actually fell from. Mm. Um, and he had written that song before. So wow. I wow. feel like that stuff. I mean, I just got the chills that happens. And I've seen it happen in my whole, like I have seven albums and I can go back to every album and be like, I remember writing that song. I don't, I had no idea that mm-hmm. like what I was writing was the future. And like mm. I was writing for my future self or I was experiencing something in the future that I hadn't, I didn't know yet how to feel that way. I didn't know yet what that was. Um, and even like I've dedicated songs to people and then that's that song has sort of they that story has sort of come true in a weird way hmm. so now i'm like i'm not gonna write for anybody anymore <laughs> like no more dedications <laughs> but, well that, <laughs> that raises my curiosity but you know <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean it's just a, it's a powerful thing when you're like not really trying to to make anything specific happen because yeah. something else will, will so it's take kind of over. The, the emergence of of the subconscious right or the subconsciousness mm-hmm. um yeah which, which i know is what 
hypnotherapy aims to do, right? To help you access that. And that's what that journaling practice is for too. When you turn off the editor, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah there is some act of surrender there right just it's more of an act of exploration yes which i suppose yeah i think that's the fun part right like that dancing with the mystery and not knowing when i show up to write today like what's gonna come up absolutely yeah i mean you kind of want to just like create space for anything to happen Mm. Yeah. And so how does that work? You mentioned co-writing, right? And it's one thing to have a practice of creating space for yourself to show up for your own creation. It's another thing to create a space where you can co-create. And I'm curious what you've learned about that. Yeah, it's definitely um, different and can be a challenge to remain open to that mysterious inspiration that can flow um, Mm. when you are with someone else. And especially if you're with someone you don't know very well, or you haven't been writing with regularly um, because everybody approaches writing a little differently. And so, and you're often in spaces that are not incredibly inspiring or um, familiar. And you also are sometimes very like most often actually writing for a specific reason, mm-hmm. which goes back to that question of like, what are you trying to communicate to, to people? Um, and when you have a, a reason or a, a goal that's again, specified in words, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're already coming in with like a, with a structure and, and you have to sort of operate within that structure. So I think that the best way to do that and the way that I find it actually really rewarding is to see that as like the puzzle or the challenge or the, the really cool um, like house that you get to decorate and find ways to um, mm. be open, like open the windows or something, you know, so, so that you're not just like, cause anybody can like, well, not anybody, but many, any songwriter who's a songwriter can write a song, any song, like anybody can write like a song about, trucks or anybody can write like you know it, it gives me a prompt and put me in the room with elizabeth and Alyssa, and we will have like the answer for you in an hour mm-hmm. like but that's not the magic that's not that's not really what you're trying to do you're what you're trying to do is is write a work of art and so i think finding ways to be to lean into that everything we've just been talking about that the authenticity the the true emotion finding something believable within that even if you're Mm -hmm. writing a song about you know a coffee product (laughs) god forbid that's like what your your song subject is because that's just like not that exciting (laughs) but like you know if that's what it is you want to find you want to think about all the reasons you love it and like what does it evoke and like how can you think of ways that like metaphorically there's all these other layers so that like it's something you want to sing always, right. always the goal for me. I want to walk away singing the song and loving it. Like, and I want to be proud of it. And I don't ever want to say like, Ooh, I hope that if that gets like placed or released, like I'm not going to put my name on it. Like I just don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> Sounds like maybe you've had that experience. I've had people, I've had, I've had, yeah, 
some, there's very rare times because I feel like I'm really lucky now mm. or I've been very intentional in the things that I do with my songwriting. But like, I rarely am in a room where I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I, it's like almost a panic attack where you're like, I have to get out of here as soon as possible. Like everybody's just talking about like writing to this brief and like, there, there's like, no, it's all calculated. There's no real, right. like there's nothing real happening. Oh my God. Those are the moments where like, or somebody's pulling up a song on YouTube and they're just basically like ripping off the entire thing. And you're like, you can't do that. That's like, that's that song. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, that's chasing something else entirely. And, yeah. and you know, that's not really yeah. songwriting. I can relate. I've, I've, I've experienced those moments and that, I think it's important to have those experiences though, because otherwise you don't have that discernment or filter to really know what you need from your creative environment. Yeah. yeah. And so you That's do, true. you do a lot of collaboration and you mentioned a documentary you're working on. Um, do you want to talk about that and how that came about? I'd love to. Yeah. Um, well, I'm working on, well, so there's two documentaries. One, the one that's about collaboration more is the the shape, the color, the feel. I'm not sure if that's what you meant, but um, that one is in post production right now, and it's um, a documentary test that really explores um, the limits of collaboration and mm. how far like a single sort of like vision can grow, um, and before it sort of you know the before the center cannot hold anymore. So it started with my band um, making an album and we had some limitations. We were independent. We didn't, we needed to raise money for it. We needed to, um, and we really wanted to do it in this big way. And we wanted to release it on vinyl and tour the U S and all this. And, um, and so I thought, you know, I love, I write very cinematically. I think about the way that I communicate with my band is like a lot of like, well, have you seen this like David Lynch film? It should feel like that. Let's make the chorus sound like this looks and um so i was like what if we made a visual album and this is back before everybody was um it was kind of like right before beyonce released that first visual album she did Mm. and so we asked a bunch of music or a bunch of filmmakers to choose a song on the record make a short film or a music video for it we produced it so we gave them what they needed funding wise and then we but we gave them creative control and final cut so it was like this big experiment because everything looked very different. It was kind of a branding disaster from an industry <laughs> perspective. I thought it was really cool mm. to explore that. And this whole community kind of grew up around it. Um, and so, and then our, our band fell apart in the midst of it. Cause it was really a lot uh, and it was really yeah. hard to kind of let go like that. And um, so the documentary kind of explores what it's like to, why collaboration is, um, the answer to limitation in many ways, especially mm. for independent artists, why, um, you know, obstacles, how obstacles become opportunities, um, which is totally something that, that, that I've been learning through collaboration. And then also what are the limitations of that beyond, you know, like where, at what point can, can you go no further? Like, I think Sam Mendez, he's a film director. He said, um, when you have a cast of 20, you have 20 imaginations in the room. So use mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I like, so believe that, but I also think um, there's a point at which like you have to take it all back and say, but this is what I like, this is what I 
meant or this is who I am or this is and then and then it's the question becomes is it important to do that or is it about the experience and so that's Mm. what the film's kind of exploring Mm. um so that's that and I'm directing a documentary uh called comeback evolution and that is exploring um the life and work of Walter K. Delbridge and um he is a poet and writer who was diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and um, he's been living in isolation pretty much his whole life. He's 73. Mm. And uh, he it, it explores the ways he has used um, his creativity to, to steal, S-T-E-L, his mind against his um, diagnosis and, mm. and his diagnoses. And so that's a really beautiful, another collaborative film because it's becoming a lot about the ways other artists are interacting with his work as they discover him and his work and how he's kind of having this creative renaissance. So, And how did that project come about for you? My dad is a truck driver and uh, he met him on the back. He met Walter on the back of a truck dock um, like 20 years ago. And I was living, well, it wasn't 20 years, maybe like 18 years ago. I was living in Seattle and uh, just starting out as a songwriter and I was in town and met Walter at my dad's house. And he said, I'm a poet. I've been writing my whole life. Would you look at my work? And gave me like three boxes of manuscripts handwritten. I took them back to Seattle and um, they were really good. So I asked if I could start editing them, basically typing them up and, and submitting them for publication. And so we started that way and I got to know him through that process. Cool. And what was it about his story that kind of like grabbed you and said, I have to do this? Because like, I know there's always a lot of projects and project ideas going on. So like, how did, how did you know this was the thing to put your energy into? Um, well, I, he's amazing. He's very compelling um, in person and his voice is really uh, strong, both um, his actual voice as you hear it. And then his artistic voice and just his story. Um, I felt like he had been um, basically written off and marginalized in every single possible way. Um, All of the intersections um, and all of the ways that we um, oppress people in our country through the, Mm. uh, for socioeconomic reasons, for like systemic racism and and the mental health system. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like he had been on a certain trajectory and was so abruptly, that was so abruptly changed. Um, but that he still somehow had, uh, maintained this like very rich life, even mm. though it was in complete isolation. And I felt like I had so much to learn from him and we became friends and he was there for me through some really hard times in my life. And I, I, le- I was learning all the while about schizophrenia mm. and I learned that I had all these ridiculous notions of it that weren't true that most mm. people hold <laughs> because we have the stigma around mental health. And um, like, I don't even like to call it mental illness because it sounds like, I mean, obviously schizophrenia is a neurological disorder. It's real. I'm not trying to romanticize it, but I think that um, we have put all of these, the, these, uh, there's, there are spectrums and, and mental health. And, um, I think everybody experiences mental illness in their lifetime, but, but 
there's a lot of room for recovery, even from something like schizophrenia. And so that's what we don't, we don't all know that. And Mm. I didn't know that. And I think that the way that I got to know Walter, I came in with a lot of stigma and now I'm just like, Oh my God, like think of all of the people who we have lost because of that, who still are out there completely disconnected and we're missing out. And like, I, he has like made my life so much uh, richer and deeper and he's influenced my art and he's one of my best friends. And he, and it's like, I think I just started to realize like he, one, his story needs to be told. He's incredibly compelling and other people ought to get to know him um, Mm -hmm. and his work. And then two, I just felt like being around him, makes me a better person, makes me feel better. makes me, um, really, uh, he's made me a better artist and, and I just wanted to, to work with him. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And beautifully said, I know that once people have labels, you know, there's oftentimes we interact with the label rather than the person. And that's unfortunate. Exactly. Yeah. And think of like how, I mean, he, if you were given these labels all at once, like, just like, basically, like, um, I don't know, like, you just become this, like, billboard for reasons that people turn around and turn away from you. And mm-hmm. it's like, and so then you just kind of retreat within that some sort of, like, safe space, that you, whatever you can try to make for yourself. And so to come back out into that world is a really brave thing, yeah. I think. And um so it's very empowering for him and for other people, I think, to see him do that. Yeah. And so what did you like personally take away from him that you that you're using for your own journey and mindset and carrying forward? Oh my gosh, I mean so much. I don't even know where to begin. I uh I think that my understanding of what reality is is a little different, um mm. because of him and just kind of my my openness to other people's reality being extremely different from mine mm. and um, just trying to be always approaching others with that mindset of like what we all call consensus reality. There's like other forms of that, that and none of us really know, like I can't see the world the way you see it ever. I will never be able to really actually see it the way you see it. Mm. Um, and so therefore I can't necessarily measure <laughs> whether the way you see it is accurate or not. And so, or the way I see it is. And so I think that obviously philosophers have been grappling with that for since we've been around, but right. um, just that, like learning that um, it didn't really matter. It doesn't really like his experience is equally valid regardless of whether um, it's a delusion or not. Mm-hmm. because it's his experience. And so, um, but, and then also learning that like, that, that, that again is like this relative thing. Like we tell ourselves these stories about who we are and we could change that frame, like at any, you know, and the way that we frame those stories really determines how the world sees us. Mm. And so I think like his really expansive mind which is really what, what um, people on the schizophrenia spectrum, they basically have a more um, open mind and their sensorial experiences are um, 
more rich and broad. And that's why it's kind of hard sometimes for them to distill it all down to what's like happening right at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like people without schizophrenia, it's almost like we've developed these blinders and the brain has said like, there's too much going on right now for you to process. So I'm going to decide, I'm going to focus you on this. Um, but like really what that means is like people who are on the schizophrenia spectrum have, um, really deep, rich, variegated experiences all the time. Mm. Like almost like it feels, I've talked to some, some people with schizophrenia who describe it as like you are, um, dreaming while you're still awake. And it's like, you know, that feeling in and out of sleep when you're like, like half asleep, is this a dream? No, this isn't a dream, whatever. It's like, um, I just think that it's working with Walter has really helped me to, um, value like any sort of uh what might seem like a strange experience to other people or whatever and just let it be let it be what it is yeah i I like that let it be what it is that's the true essence of accepting others i think Mm -hmm. and that can be a powerful lesson for relationships and collaborating and coexisting and yeah. I think it takes the pressure off, I imagine, in, in your interactions with people too. It does. And I'm not like, I don't really tend toward that. Like I like to, um, like if, if nobody in the room is speaking up, I'll speak up. Like I'm very comfortable being a leader. I'm comfortable being the one to, you know, articulate whatever vision there needs to be like expressed. And so I think like, it's been a really good, practice for me to let go and um which i think that's why i love collaborating so much i think it's a work it's like something i have to work on mm. like i have to work on letting go so that other like visions and and forms can emerge and um and that's co-writing is a really good space for that too because it's like you know you never want to be like nobody wants to be in a co-write where one person's doing all the writing like that's not and you have to step back and like let other people um bring what they have because it's going to make it better it's going to make it's going to take it you know somewhere different and that's what you're there for you know otherwise you'd just be writing by yourself all the time yeah and that's that's a delicate balance because there's kind of an inherent contradiction in there right like to, to have a successful collaboration there needs to be this kind of like yes and mindset which is comes from improv and and other things right where you're actively listening you're not shutting each other down you're trying to make each other's ideas better and yes and it works better when one person is kind of designated as kind of the final authority or holding the vision right as far as or else you might never finish yeah i guess maybe like I guess like what you want to, as a writer, what you want to, the ideal scenario is that you are not always that person and you are not never that person. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. So there are different headspaces. I think you just, definitely. And I think you can kind of intuit like who that, like if you're that person or not that day, you know, like, and, and just be gracious about it either way. And then it's really about the song. I mean, everybody just wants the song to be the best that it can be. And so you rise to the song. Yeah. And I know that like, I've seen like 
been in, in co-writes where made a song that everybody was okay with, but nobody feels ownership of. Yeah, that's always a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it's nice when when somebody can walk away, at least one person can walk away going, heck yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but this thing has to keep going. Yeah. That's the that's the goal. Yeah. For sure. I mean, otherwise you're still walking away with relationships you're developing and practice yeah. and skill and you know <laughs> certainly there's no doesn't need to be any pressure to make something happen because it's kind of the exception anyways. Yeah, definitely like letting those days happen and let them be what they are is like part of the whole thing. I mean, you have to make a lot of songs to make a great song. So everybody's doing that every day, you know I mean? Yeah. And resources, resources are limited, you know, both in terms of people's time and energy finances and, you know, um, so kind of transitioning on that piece, right? Because we're all in this together. Um, noticed you've been working toward having kind of these artist collectives or I'm wondering if you could talk about that, like what you're trying to create and accomplish and your reasons for doing so. Cause our audience are mostly authors and songwriters and other creative people. So we might oh, benefit cool. from hearing about this. Yeah. Um, so Alyssa Moreno and I have started BAM Collective um, and BAM Collective is basically a group of artists, songwriters, and producers um, whose music has been placed in film and TV or um, in advertising or um, who are writing toward that end. And so Alyssa and I have um, a lot of experience in that world and, and we've been fortunate to have some solid placements and to build, to have built relationships um, with those supervisors and um, producers. And so we both left our um, pub deals thinking we wanted to do something different and we Mm. weren't looking to go into something traditional again. And also we wanted to um, just give back and, and provide a, like we naturally already have a pretty awesome community of collaborators here in Nashville and in LA. And um, we wanted to kind of formalize those relationships and say, Hey, we're, we're doing this. We're in this together. We're, we're, you know, better together. Um, I always feel like anytime you want to accomplish anything, you just need to throw a party and then it will happen. (laughs) And like, you just feed people and give them drinks and and they will start talking and like, Yeah. But like, so I think that that was, we both came together realizing we have very similar visions and similar experience, but in different ways in different communities. So we were like, what would we, what would happen if we brought these communities together? Mm. Because um, we also worked with a lot of different artists and writers who were not represented and who should, should be or deserve to be and are writing at that caliber. And so we were like, let's pull them through. Like, let's start um, very um, informally with no huge pressure expectations bringing their songs um, into these rooms or bringing them into these rooms with us or whatever. And, um, you know, and see what happens. And so that's, it's, it's still growing. Um, but it's, 
I started in um, 2005 in Seattle. I started Red Valise, mm. like um, Vias and Victory. This, um, and I started that as a record label, mostly just to release my records and some of my friends. And it was before like Spotify and all those things where you could just really easily be an independent artist. And so mm-hmm. I thought like we should have some sort of representation. And Red Valise is still going strong. It's, um, it's a production company too. We do... Um, we're doing the comeback evolution film, the shape color feel film. We're doing, we've done a bunch of music videos. Um, and it's like my, my sort of ethos with all of that was like by art for art with art, like that there are ways to make, um, your artist life sustainable if you work Mm. together with other artists. Mm. And the thinking is that like, if you're, um, a designer and I'm, it's very simple. It's every, like, not my idea. It's like if there, if you're a designer and you also play in this band and I'm an, I'm a writer and I also play in this band and like, you need a bio and I need a website and we'll just like, so there, it's very like, let's trade things. Right. It's very baseline. And then it's like, well, how can we, um, do this in a way that's like, we're, we're crossing over on the industry side. And that's what Alyssa and I are doing with band by using our relationships that we've built over the years, um, and film TV and, um, ad placements in particular, but also yeah. hope that one day we can develop, you know, artists and, and help them release things alongside us. But we're still ultimately artists and, and writers when it comes down to it. And we're not wanting to start anything like traditional, um, but we want to make a way for others to kind of um, come in. Yeah. I guess in some way creating the art and distributing it has become the easy part quote unquote easy um and i i'm excited by the that idea of combining your networks together and maybe having this kind of process or ramp off ramp or on ramp for your created works to to go to work for you um i could see how that would yeah be really beneficial so me personally right like just to give an example for listeners if i've got really good relationships with like a handful of music supervisors and so when i create original work they get they get my my music and maybe they use it maybe they don't but if there's five of us doing that then that number goes from like five music supervisors to maybe 20 supervisors Right. Yeah. Is that kind of the exactly. idea of what you're doing? Right. So that it would is. really yeah, multiply it, your odds of getting placements and having things just available for that miraculous timing. Right. It is miraculous timing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also just like, it's a community, like it's a way to get creative and learn and, and grow with each other. And um, I just think I would be nowhere if, if not for the like, other artists and um, mentors I've had. And so I just think the more that you can be available for other people who are coming up or whatever, it's just, it's part of the whole process. Yeah. Totally agree with that. And I want you to repeat, you had this really snappy little line with your ethos, which was something about buy art and live art, uh, but it was three. Yeah. It's um, buy art for art with art. Uh-huh. And um, I always say, we the people make it happen by art, for art, with art. <laughs> yeah. 
That's really cool. And so how can, how can listeners find you? Um, I'm at katetucker.net.net because when someone tried to sell me my own website, like 20 years ago, I did not buy it from him. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You got squatted? Yeah. So there's that, um, katetucker.net and I'm, my socials are at katetuckermusic. Okay. Great. And then there's, I'll include in the show notes, the Red Valise. Um, yeah, redvalise.com. BAM Collective, which I believe is also referenced in Alyssa's episode, which I think was episode yeah. six. And your documentary in progress, Come, Come Back Revolution, or Come Back Evolution. Come Back life Evolution. And, yeah. And so is that yeah. coming out next year-ish or... Um, probably, uh, not until early 2021. So we'll finish it this year and do, um, and then we'll start the, we'll figure out the distribution cool. plan, but that's all at comebackevolution.com. You can call okay. it out there. When should we be looking out for the documentary, the shape, the color, the feel? Next year. Yeah. That'll be like summer, I think 2020. Cool. And you can... I will talk all about that on my socials. <laughs> Great. Well, be sure be sure to follow up and let me know, and I'll put it out there as well. Because that sounds you. super interesting to both of the documentaries, actually, to take a look at. So, yeah. I appreciate that. Well, Kate, it's been a pleasure talking. Same. Thanks so much. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.